Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning. How y'all doing? Oh, that's good. That's good. Welcome to the eleven. Uh, for those of you just joining us, we're so glad you're here with us, and uh, shout out to those who are watching us online at home in their onesies and their pajamas. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're in week six of a series we've been doing called People Skills, and uh, we've been discovering together how we can uh, do relationships in the way of Jesus as God's people, and spending some time sharpening our relationship saws together as well. Uh, Today, I want to talk to you about navigating disagreement with other believers in Christ. I think this is a really important people skill that I'm I'm growing in and that we can all develop. Um, Let me ask you this question. Have you ever found yourself surprised by other people's choices? Uh, Let's say you're a mom and you're out with some other moms and you're on like a coffee date, you know, mom's time out, whatever, and you're you know, talking around the table, and one of the moms at the table talks about a book that she's having her children read together. And when you hear the title of the book, you're like, whoa, you're a little bit shocked, right? You're thinking to yourself, wow, I would never, ever let my kid read that book. As a matter of fact, what Christian parent in their right mind would ever let their children read that book? I mean, don't they know? I mean, don't they know that this is like a gateway drug, this book? I mean, if that child reads that book, the next thing you know, by the time she's 10, she's going to be practicing sorcery, right? By the time she's a a mid-adult, she's going to be worshiping Satan. I mean, what kind of a mother would ever let their child read that type of book? Ever been in a similar type of scenario like that? You know, uh, we've all been surprised by other people's choices. I mean, we think we know a person. We think that because they're a follower of Jesus, like we're a follower of Jesus, that they're going to have exactly the same values that we share. And then when you kind of peel back the layers and you get to know them a little bit more, you discover, oh man, I mean, we don't actually all agree on precisely the same things. Now, um, let, me, let me flip it around and let me ask you this question. Have you ever had an awkward moment when you shared your own choices with some other people? So you're out with the bros, you're out kicking it back after a good steak dinner, and you're talking around the table, and then you start sharing with everybody else one of the new hobbies that you've taken up. Pick your choice, okay? For me, it was Japanese jujitsu, okay? And so you're walking around the table and you're telling people, and you're really enthusiastic about this, but you realize that about 20 minutes, 20 seconds into the conversation, everybody's kind of silent. Nobody's nodding in approval, People are just kind of looking at their shoes. And you realize that this is probably a sensitive topic for a lot of people around the table. And so what you find yourself doing is backing off from the conversation, changing the subject. Because, I mean, you don't want to be thrown to the lions, right? You don't want them to take you out and stone you. So you just kind of steer the conversation in a little bit different direction. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have probably been on both sides of these scenarios. You have been surprised by what other people do, and you have felt awkward by people responding to what you do. So, how do you navigate disagreement with different lifestyle preferences and choices? That's what question I want to ask, and I think it's a really important question. And in fact, it's not a new question. This is a question that Christians have wrestled with throughout all the millennia, 
It's a question that the early church, in fact, wrestled with as well. I mean, think about the early church. I mean, there are this first community of disciples coming together, this new community formed under Jesus in the kingdom, right? And they were just trying to figure out at that time, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I mean, what does this actually look like? And the question they asked was, how does Jesus want us to live? And you've got to think about it. I mean, they came from every walk of life. They came from different religious backgrounds. Some of them came out of the synagogue. Some of them were worshiping in the pagan temples. Others were, were in the mystery religions. They were from different people groups and cultures from all across the Roman Empire. You had the rich and the poor, the old and the young, the powerful, sitting alongside the outcast. Not to mention, there's this blend of all these different personalities. And they were gathering together under the name of Jesus. And they were asking the same question. How does Jesus now want us to live? And as it turns out, they didn't always agree about the answer. Now, we are not much different from them. We are still asking the same question. And we are still trying to navigate, even in our day, the disagreement around the answers. So, so Paul the Apostle addresses these kinds of questions in his letter to the Romans. And uh, after a lengthy letter, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 14. And I'd like us to do a deep dive into that text this morning. So if you have a Bible, let's follow in the Bible. If you've got one, I think that would be great. Otherwise, you can follow in the bulletin notes. Uh, you can also uh, follow with us on screen. But I want to start reading Paul uh, because he talks about this type of tension that we're talking about this morning. So let me start reading at verse 1 of Romans chapter 14. He says this, As for one who is weak in faith... Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is, better, it is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then... Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. This is God's word. Can we pray together? Father, thanks for your word. Thanks that uh, this ancient piece of text, which is thousands of years old, still speaks to us today. And thank you, God, your word's living and active. And we pray Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, you'd guide us, you'd nudge us, you'd encourage us, you'd challenge us. Um, we open our hearts in glad surrender to you. Thanks that you love us and you're for us. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, clearly, the church was divided over some issues. There was, there was some disagreement that was happening back in the day. Uh, but I think we need to be clear about what Paul is addressing here, okay? You'll notice that he says in verse 1, he, he has this little tagline at the end. He says, not to quarrel over opinions. And that's an ESV. But in other translations, particularly the NIV, he says this. He says, uh, disputable matters. What Paul is saying here is, he, he, he's saying that there are some matters 
practices, beliefs. There are some matters that are disputable. He is not saying that all matters are disputable. So he's not saying that, you know, ethics are purely subjective, right? He's not arguing for a, for a free market on morality. Well, how do we know this? Well, you just have to back up the bus and you start at the beginning of Romans chapter 1 and work your way all to this part uh, of the letter. And, and you realize that Paul is spelling out how Jesus wants us to live. Now that we've been rescued by him, we've been called by him, we've been loved by him, we have a spirit living inside of us, how now does Jesus want us to live? And, and Paul gives some pretty clear instructions. Instructions about sexuality and revenge and hatred, adultery, murder, quarreling, jealousy. I mean, just the name of the few topics that Paul covers. So in Paul's mind... In Paul's mind, there are undisputable standards of right and wrong. But here, Paul is focusing on disputable matters. Issues where, you know, things don't seem really so black and white, but are a little bit gray. Or things that are, that are not so clear, maybe a little bit fuzzy. In other words, some practices that are just not clearly spelled out in Scripture. Those practices that are not fundamental and that we would say are non-essential. So, you know, I thought about this, and I thought, okay, well, for us, I mean, what would be some good examples of some of the more non-essential issues from our recent era of history here in the West, Western part of the world? So I'm just going to throw some up on screen, and, and you can have a look at them and see what you think. So here's one of them. Uh, playing poker. Okay, I'm not asking for a show of hands. Okay. We don't want a Corinthian communion fight to break out. Okay, so playing poker. Next one. Drinking alcohol. Here's another one. Next one, yeah. Uh, wearing hats in church. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, this is amazing. Like, everyone's like, playing poker? Ah, no problem. Wearing hats in church? Whoa. I got the same response at the nine. That's crazy. Okay. Uh, and by the way, uh, just back that up for a second. Back that up for a second. You know that this is just a building, right? And you're the church? Just saying. Next one. Okay. Uh, Halloween. Oh, should I, should I not? Okay. Uh, vegan, vegetarian, or baconitarian? <laughs> you know what I like. <laughs> Harry Potter. Oh, next one. Game of Thrones. Ooh. All right. Uh, let's stay on this one for a second. Yeah, closed on Sunday. Oh, it's, no, okay, yeah. Closed on Sunday, you know. You're my Chick-fil-A, Kanye reference there, okay? In other words, you know, what do we do with the Sabbath? What do we do with Sundays? All that sort of thing. There's some dispute about that. Uh, here's the last one. Country music, yes. That's, I, just, I just threw that in there. I don't know if anyone else feels the same way. But, uh, uh, now, now, most of these issues, they are not specifically addressed by Scripture. Now, you might be able to present a good biblical moral argument for some of them. Okay, uh, for some of them, you might have equal positions on both sides. Okay, but they are questions that are somewhat disputable. And I, I just like to point out, though, that there is no indication that there will ever be country music in the new heaven and in the new earth. Uh, <laughs> I, I read the latter chapters of, of the Bible, the book of Revelation. There is no reference to country music there. And besides, I mean, think about it. I mean, when Jesus comes back, he's going to wipe away a tear from every eye. He's going to make all things new, which means you get your, you know, you get your truck back, you get your dog back, you get your house back, and you get your girl back, but you won't be married to her, right? So which really makes country music irrelevant, right? I'm just saying. I kid, I kid. Well, maybe not. Now in Rome, in Rome, there were disagreements about disputable matters. We can't know for certain the details of these conflicts. I mean, 
different commentators go back and forth about what was really going on there. I mean, was it, about, was it a Jew or Gentile issue? Was it about Roman feasts? Was it about eating meat sacrificed to idols? We're not really sure what's going on. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really affect how we interpret this passage of Scripture. What we do know is that Paul draws a distinction between two groups of people, the weak and the strong. And the difference between the two has to do with their, their freedom to participate in certain practices. So uh, let's throw a chart up on the screen, okay? We have the, the weak in faith and we have the strong in faith. So on the one side, we have two examples that Paul gives of the weak. Uh, they might be those who have consciences that only allow them to eat vegetables, right? Or you, another example is there are those that believe that you must honor certain holy days. These are very important days and they're sacred and we have to continue to honor them. So those are on the side of the weak. But on the other side, we have those who are on the strong. So on the strong side would say, well, they have consciences that allow them to eat anything, right? They're human trash compactors. Bacon's on the menu, okay? Um, or then you have this other group uh, that would say, you know, they believe all days are essentially the same. There's no sacred days. They're all the same. So you can practice however you want. But you have these two different groups uh, within the body of Christ in that day. Now, when you look at this diagram, you might wonder to yourself why Paul says that those on the left side are the weak. I mean, doesn't it really seem like they should be the strong? Aren't they the ones that have the, the higher bar of morality, right? Aren't they the ones with stronger convictions? So why would you call them weak, Paul, and not strong? Well, you'll notice in the text that Paul actually says weak in faith, okay? So what he's actually talking about here is the strength of their consciences. The person with the weaker conscience believes they can only eat vegetables because their conscience will not allow it. But the person with the stronger conscience says they can eat pretty much anything. So it's, it's really, it's about their faith. It's what their beliefs will allow. And what Paul is not saying here, he's not saying that a person who is weak in faith has less value in the kingdom of God, that they're worth less. He's also not making a comment about their spiritual maturity. He's not saying they have a weaker spirituality. That's not what he's saying. He is simply making a distinction between different types of consciences. And people have different consciences. You know, the, the cross point, the reality is that, that we all have different convictions about the non-essentials in this community. Many of you have come from different church backgrounds. And you've, you've developed a conscience, you develop convictions based on your church background. Some of you uh, are maybe even just working hard to leave behind broken lifestyles or family dynamics. You want to get them as far away from them as possible. And this has affected your convictions. You may have come out of addictions. You may have come out of shady spirituality. Some of you just come from a really wonderful Christian heritage, and that's beautiful, and that's awesome. And, and I, I just want to say one of the great things about Crosspoint is that we are a, a beautiful kaleidoscope of people groups from all around the world with different ethnic backgrounds, a picture of heaven. Here's the thing. You all have a history. You all have a story. And that story is going to shape what you believe about the non-essentials. So what Paul seems to be saying here is this. You can have personal convictions about the non-essentials. And God is totally okay with that. But then he adds, as long as you are fully convinced in your own mind. In other words, if you believe something, make sure you know why you believe something. 
There's an invitation here to, to think it through, to wrestle it to the ground. He's saying you need to be fully convinced about what you believe about these practices. So, I mean, don't, don't just come up with a conviction because it's convenient or, or because you're locked into an ideology, left, right, or centrist, or, or because it, you know, it's going to help you fit in with other people, or, or the classic, because you're trying to rationalize your own bad behavior. Paul's saying your convictions need to be thought through, and the stakes are high. In fact, if you're not fully convinced, Paul would even warn us. And he would say, you know what, you shouldn't even partake. I mean, a little later in the passage, Paul says this in, in verse 23. And we'll read it a little later, but let me point to it now. He says, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. Whoever, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you have this niggling sense, and I think we all get it. But if you have this niggling sense in the back of your mind that what you're doing is not right, or you're not fully convinced that what you're doing is right, Paul's saying you're better off avoiding it. Because if you doubt it, but you still do it, you're missing the mark. Let me say that again. If you doubt it, but you still do it, you're missing the mark. Now, this raises a big, hairy question for all of us this morning. What does it mean to be fully convinced? What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, you'll notice that he says that the one who eats does so in honor of the Lord. And he says that the one who abstains does so in honor of the Lord. So what Paul seems to be saying is that a fully convinced person wants to honor the Lord in all that they do. See, the early followers of Jesus, they understood that Jesus was the Son of God. He was born of the Virgin Mary uh, by the Holy Spirit. He lived among them. He performed miracles. He, he showed them the kingdom. He showed them the way to live. And then he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. But three days later, Jesus rose up from the grave, demonstrating his victory over sin, death, grave, the powers of evil. But not only that, he also proved that he was who he said he was. That he was the Messiah of Israel. And that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so they knew, the early church knew, and they understand that if this is true, the only reasonable response was to fall on their knees before him and say, my life is yours, command me. And so they wanted to live their lives in such a way that it actually honored the Lord. You know, as Tim Keller has said it famously, he says, if Jesus is not Lord of all, Jesus is not Lord at all. And as we read the text, this is actually what Paul was getting at in verse 7 and verse 8. He says this, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So, so to be fully convinced means to, to bring our convictions before the Lord. And we ask them, Lord, how can I honor you with my life? You know, Paul says something else in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It's very similar to this. I like what he says. He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What seems clear in Paul's mind is that the fundamental question for any disciple, any follower of Jesus is this. How can I honor the Lord with my life? And that is very different than the often asked question, which is this. How much can I get away with? And I've spent a lot of my time in my life asking that second question and not the first question. See, the first question is more about knowing God and letting him guide my life. The second question is more about my personal autonomy and living life on my own terms. 
And I think most of us know that we live in a culture that highly esteems personal autonomy. I mean, subjective ethics, self-identity are very much in vogue. It's very much common for people to say today, well, you can believe and you can do whatever you want, right? As long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And I think as we live in this culture and we're part of this culture, it's very easy for us to just kind of slide into a, a way of doing ethics that the culture does. But we're very different. I mean, we, we don't embrace an, a utilitarian ethic as followers of Jesus. In other words, we're not asking the question, what's going to cause the least amount of harm and create the greatest amount of pleasure as the guiding principle of our lives? Rather, the guiding principle of our lives is, is based on a relationship with the living God. This God who loves us and he calls us and he saves us and he transforms us and he gives us hope and he gives us purpose. And he helps us become the best version of ourselves, which is to be recreated in the image of Jesus. That's a different foundation for forming an ethic. So being fully convinced means asking the question, Lord, how can I honor you with my life? You know, when I was a, when I was a new follower of Jesus, this was a long time ago. I, I came to follow Jesus when I was uh, just a senior in high school. And, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a very extreme turn in my life when that happened. I mean, I had to get out of a way of life that was broken and the corrupt. Uh, I gave up everything to follow Jesus back in that day. Um, you would say that I had a very weak conscience at that time. So I tried to distance myself as far as possible from my old way of life. I mean, so I mean, like I burnt all of my cassette tape collection back then, right? Some of you maybe remember those days, yeah. So, so my um, Beastie Boys, my Bobby Brown, the Proclaimers, Michael Jackson, even Brian Adams, you know, Quiet Riot. Uh, I won't even name some of the other stuff I was listening. To. Anyway, it all went to the flames, gasoline and all, right? And I, because I believed, well, I had to separate myself as much as I could from it. I couldn't listen to it. Only Christian music is the right music to listen to. Um, I completely gave up alcohol and smoking. I, I separated myself from my friends as much as I could. I stopped doing parties, right? I wouldn't even go to the store and buy my mom's cigarettes because I was so convicted by that practice. Uh, so I, I took extreme measures in my life. And I think at that season of my life, I probably needed to do that because I was at real jeopardy of just sliding back and living life the way that I had always lived it. So I wasn't strong enough to stand, and in those days, I asked myself the fundamental question. Lord, how do I honor you with my life? Well, that was 30 years ago, um, this spring. And in those past 30 years, my, my conscience has not been seared, but my conscience has rather been strengthened. And I don't have the same tensions around some of these issues. So I've actually downloaded some of the old songs that I used to listen to in my teen years. I do enjoy a glass of wine with some good friends. Um, going to a party scene with other people doesn't threaten my faith in any way at all. And I'm still asking the fundamental question. How can I honor the Lord with my life? So that is the question that we need to be asking. And I hope that that's a question that you continue to ask in your faith journey. But the other question is, how do you respond to those then who have different convictions around these non-essentials. Well, Paul comes to our rescue. Let's keep reading. Here's what he says, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or you, why do you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, 
Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. And by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's not good not, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. And blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You know what I love about this text? I love that Paul doesn't pick a side. Right? He doesn't lean into the side of the weak. He doesn't lean into the side of the strong. As a matter of fact, he has something to say to those on each side of these issues. So let's, let's look at these instructions on the screen together. Here's what he says to the weak. To the weak, here's what I have to say to you. Do not pass judgment. In other words, don't condemn people. Don't outcast them. Don't exclude them. Don't shelter yourself from them or shelter your children from them. Okay? And then he says to this to the strong. He says actually two things. The first thing he says to those who are strong, don't despise them. In other words, you know, don't look down on your noses at them. Don't write them off or, or treat them as less cool or less with it or less hip or less progressive, as we like to say in our day. They are not second-class citizens in the kingdom. But he also says to the strong this, and this is the most important part. He says, don't put a stumbling block in their way. Well, what's a stumbling block? Well, a stumbling block is essentially something that causes another person to sin. And, and Paul points out in the text basically two ways that you can cause somebody to stumble. One is to, to tempt them to the point that they actually go back to their way of life and they, they li live against their consciences and then they get into sin. And the second, though, he says, is to cause them such distress, to grieve them so much that they end up speaking out or acting out against your behavior and it's causing disruption in community. Now, just a side note. This is not the same as offending someone. I think most of us are aware that we live in a culture where it is far too easy to, def to offend people by our speech or by our language. This is not about that. This is about intentionally causing people distress with my actions, not accidentally causing them distress because of their sensitivity. It's a very, very different thing here. So, for example, ways that we might cause people to stumble... Um, we might flaunt our freedom in front of them. Look at me, I'm so free, right? Or, or maybe applying peer pressure so that they have to conform to my way of life, my standard of living. Or it might be tearing down the, their beliefs, you know, whether it's in their face or in front of others or even, or even online. There's lots of ways that we can engage in this process of helping people to stumble or causing people to stumble. But, but Paul doesn't just say, don't do it. He actually gives some good rationales. He gives some good reasons why we shouldn't cause other people to stumble. So let's complete the, the chart on there, okay? First of all, he says to the weak, he says, don't pass judgment, and here's why. You're not the master. You know, many Roman citizens in that day would have had house servants. 
And a basic rule of thumb in regard to house servants is you would never be able to command somebody else's house servant what to do. Only their master could, could compel or tell their servant what to do. It would have been bad form. It would have been outrageous for you to tell somebody else's servant what to do. So Paul's asking, he's saying, who are you to pass judgment on someone else's servant? So what he's saying is you can't pass judgment on someone if they aren't your servant. They don't answer to you. They answer to Jesus. They answer to the Lord. And if their consciences are clean and they're living according to their consciences, the Lord will help them to stand. Paul even goes as far as that. He said God is actually on their side if their consciences are clean. But the other reason why the weak shouldn't pass judgment is, uh, is because that person is in your family. Paul says this in verse 10. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Essentially he's saying, hey, listen, family members don't throw family members under the bus. I think most of us, we come from families where we have a, a messy kid. Uh, anyone have a, a kids and you know who the messy kid is? You don't have to put up your hand. They might be sitting beside you, okay? Uh, or you might have a messy sibling, or you might be that messy sibling. You know, every family's got a messy sibling. I mean, do you, do you exclude your child from the family because they leave a trail of disaster in every room of your house? Well, no, you don't because they're your family, right? They're not the house cleaner. They're your family. You don't kick them out. You don't kick them to the curb. But then to the strong, Paul says this. Don't put a stumbling block in front of your weak brother. And the reason he gives is simple. Because you're not walking in love. You know, I, I, have, I have friends in the faith, uh, believers, who uh, come from a Middle Eastern background. Uh, grew up in the Muslim world. That was part of their, their history. And who love Jesus now, follow him devotedly, are asking the question, how do I live my life to honor the Lord? But in their upbringing, they've never eaten pork. It's never been part of their history. And the, the very idea of eating pork even today is just like, oh, I, I just can't do it. I can't come to terms with that. Out of a matter of con uh, conscience and even out of a matter of personal taste. So can you imagine if I said, hey, I'd love to have you over for dinner, right? And they show up for dinner. And the first thing I offered them is for the appetizer is like bacon-wrapped scallops, right? And then we get to the main course and it's like glazed ham, right? What would Paul say about my choices there? He'd say, well, you're not very loving. You're not acting in love. Uh, here's what he says in verse 15. He says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So if I cause my brother or sister in Christ to stumble, I am not walking in love. I'm not living like Jesus. I'm not loving like Jesus. And, and I forget this important truth. That that person is someone who Jesus loves as much as he loves me. In fact, that person is someone that Jesus died for. That's the point that Paul is making. So Jesus was willing to sacrifice his freedom in order that that person might experience freedom and life in Christ. And in the same way, Paul's saying, you know, we, we need to be willing to give up our own freedoms in order that that person might experience freedom and life in Christ. I should be willing to just put my opinion aside if it's going to help them. And then there's, there's one final reason, and we're going to land here tonight. There's one final reason why we shouldn't make people stumble that Paul gives. He says, you know what? When you think about it, these tiny issues that we're fighting about, they really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. He says in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
And the challenge is, and I don't know why we do it, maybe it's our sinful, broken natures. Maybe it's the spirit of the Pharisees rising up in us. But sometimes we hyperfixate on the things that just really aren't that important. And we get focused on the non-essentials. And it, and it causes Christians to fight and churches to split. And it, but when we do that, we, we lose sight of the big picture. We, we take molehills and we try to make them into mountains. And Paul's saying, listen, the, king, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about the life of the people of God in the Spirit, which leads to righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the most important thing. But not only that, Paul says, you know, it's, it's about building people up and not tearing them down. Here's what he says in verse 19. He says, so then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Listen, my, my dad was a demolitions expert, and he was a, an explosives expert. That's, that's how he made his money. And uh, he could tear things down. He could blow things up. I got to tell you something about my dad. He was a lousy carpenter. I mean, I mean, lousy, okay? I love him, okay? But he's a lousy carpenter. If he made a bench, you'd have to pay me 100 bucks to sit on it, right? <laughs> what I discovered watching my dad is that it is far easier to tear things down than it is to build them up. Crosspoint, we are, we are living in polarized times. Ideologies that we thought were long gone are reemerging. Ideologues are rising. People are shouting at each other across the great divide. I think it's far too easy for us to label people as conservative or liberal or snowflake or fundamentalist or millennial or boomer. And, and because of the impact of, of this thought movement known as postmodernism, we find it very easy to deconstruct people's beliefs on the other side. We find it so easy to tear it apart. We become masterful at tearing other people apart, online or even in person. But what we lack is the skill set to build, the skill set to create, the skill set to have hope and joy in these present times. The kingdom of God is about building up. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know that God has called us to something far higher, something far greater? What if we did this with excellence? What if we, we took Jesus at his word and we sought to, to be the people of God, the true people of God of the kingdom, to live in the kingdom, to allow the kingdom to live through us and to demonstrate the kingdom to the world? I'm praying for, for Paul's words from verse 18 to be true of us and to be true of me. He says, whoever thus serves Christ, okay, this image he's painted of the people of God, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So may we be a people who eagerly desire to honor the Lord. May we be a people who love each other fiercely. May we be a people who sacrifice our preferences for the greater good who build each other up. And may the, the world see the kingdom of God truly at work in us and through us. Let's pray together. Let me pray. And so Jesus, we, we, we want today to put on Christ. We want to be like you. 
And God, forgive us where we, we have violated community, um, these principles of the kingdom, the way you want us to live. And sometimes it's difficult, Lord. It's, it's difficult. And so we ask you to help us, to shape, shape us and transform us, to love each other truly, to build each other up. Build this church, Lord. Build our lives. And we surrender ourselves to you. And we just ask you this question today, Lord. How can we honor you as God's people? Thanks for your salvation. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your abiding presence. We give thanks to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.